Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining today's conversation. I'm Jim Doyle, President of Business Forward. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We're pleased to welcome Representative Ron Kine from Wisconsin's 3rd District and Chairman of the New Democrat Coalition. He's here to talk about the American Prosperity Agenda, a collection of 200 bills and initiatives to grow the U.S. economy and its progress over the past year. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for tens of thousands of business leaders from across America. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives get the chance to brief policymakers on issues affecting their businesses, how to create jobs, and how Washington can work with businesses to accelerate our economy. Today, more than 450 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors have participated in our programming. And that's all thanks to the support of more than 50 of America's largest and most respected companies. Before we get started, I want to go over a few housekeeping items. First, this call is on the record and reporters may be on the line. Second, after the congressman's remarks, there will be time for you to ask questions and share your advice. You can do this one of two ways. You can press 1 at any time to speak live on the line, or you can email info at businessfwd.org. Again, you can press 1 and we'll know that you're interested in asking a question and we'll come select you. Or you can send your email to info at businessfwd.org. Uh, when you, we call on you or when you email your question, uh, please introduce yourself with your company and where you're calling from. Um, Congressman, thank you again very much for joining us. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give the floor to you. Great. Thanks, Jim. Jim, I want to thank you and Business Forward for organizing this phone call. And I really wanted to do try to get to the questions as soon as possible. But just give me a couple of minutes to give you an update as far as where the New Dem Coalition is. Um, the new American Prosperity Agenda that we released and we're working on, and then kind of my, pro, uh, my prediction of what still might be accomplished in this session of Congress, even in the middle of this heated presidential campaign that we're witnessing out there. But the New Dem Coalition, and I've been a member since its creation with Cal Dooley and Jim Moran, Tim Romer. We're 52 strong today. We've got about another eight or nine members of the Democratic uh, Caucus looking to join. Uh, and it's just a great group to work with. More moderate centrist, pro-growth Democrats. We're trying to build bridges here in Congress, trying to find common ground in order to get things done on behalf of the American people and the type of pro-growth strategy that we need. And there was a sense of frustration with our group coming out of the 2014 uh, uh, elections that the Democratic Party didn't have a very good pro-growth, uh, innovative, creative, competitiveness message in that campaign. So the new Dems got together. We brought in a bunch of outside people, too. We discussed amongst ourselves of what a good pro-growth, uh, competitive agenda would look like for the United States. And that's what we came forward with in our American Prosperity Agenda. And there are legislative items that we specifically propose in it. I'm proud to say that over 57% of those items have bipartisan support. 30 of them have been moved out of committee already. 20 of them have been enacted into law. So we're showing through this work, work product that there is a path forward, that there is some common ground that can be had uh, in this Congress. You know, there's a lot of focus in the, uh, the prosperity agenda on modernizing and simplifying the tax code. We need comprehensive tax reform. We recognize that it's holding us back both in growth opportunities at home and our competitive position overseas. Uh, I serve on the Ways and Means Committee, so I'm right in the middle of that uh, discussion and, and the hearings that are taking place, um, and it's long overdue. Last time was back in 87, and it's a once-in-a-generational opportunity to really get into the code, try to simplify, 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 broaden the base, make it more competitive globally, but without leaving behind the pass-through entities. 
you know, your limited uh, partnerships, partnerships, your S-Corps, ESOP models as well, as well as coming up with a tax code that supports and encourages domestic manufacturing, especially, you know, value-added and advanced manufacturing opportunities. We New Dems believe a country as great as ours, we have to have the ability to make things, grow things, invent and create things right here in the United States, along with the good-paying jobs that come with that. So tax reform is right in our... Uh, uh, right in our sweet spot, and we're going to continue pushing that, waiting for the opportunity for the for the stars to align so we can make a, a major run at it. Early stage upfront capital, you know, for entrepreneurs, innovators, new businesses, making sure that the capital markets are working well for those startup opportunities. We have to continue to foster that type of entrepreneur risk taking and making sure that there's capital there to get them up and going. And so a lot of our proposals are focused on that aspect. We leaned in heavily with the JOBS Act that passed a couple of years ago, early on-ramps uh, for IPOs, uh, early-stage capital, uh, those type of things, and now we're working on a JOBS 2.0 uh, proposal. We also are internationalists in our outlook. We recognize that we are in the middle of a very integrated yet competitive global economy, and now is not the time to be talking about building walls and building bridges and creating Fortress America. We've got to be engaged internationally. We ought to be at the table writing the rules of trade or it's going to be imposed upon us. We ought to be elevating standards to where we are and leveling the playing field for our businesses and our workers and our farmers so they can be successful competing uh, abroad. And naturally, we've got the Trans-Pacific Partnership that's pending this year that we're trying to find a window in order to move forward on that because the rest of the world's not going to wait. In fact, just last night, many of us New Dems sat down with some of the ambassadors from the TPP nations to talk to them about their internal politics with the trade agreement and, and how we move forward on it. And all of them have said that if the U.S. vacates this space uh, in, in the world, uh, the leadership role that they're expecting us to play, they will be forced then to have to strengthen their bilateral relationship with China in the Pacific Rim area. So that's really what's at stake. And they're fearful that we're making the same mistake we made with the infrastructure bank that China just got up and going, where most, if not all, of our closest allies decided to join because of the lack of reforms uh, uh, in Congress. So trade, naturally, international engagement, another big area that the new Dems have been very, very active on. We've also were the lead in introducing the Comprehensive Immigration Reform Bill that the Senate passed with wide bipartisan support, we're trying to get traction on the House side, and due to a variety of causes, mainly political, uh, the Republican leadership just refused to even allow a debate and vote on comprehensive immigration reform. Again, it's another area we feel we're being held back. Competitiveness, the type of uh, talent we need in, the, in our country uh, for the jobs that are being created, and the fact that we do have a broken immigration system that's in desperate need of a comprehensive fix. And unfortunately, again, the presidential campaigns have taken a different turn on that outlook. And we're trying to find a bipartisan path forward in order to get this teed up and, and going again. What can be accomplished this year in, in light of the political environment? Well, we did get enacted certain trade measures last year from the Trade Facilitation and Enforcement Act, Customs Bill, uh, TAA reauthorization. We did get... Uh, uh, a TPA pass, which is Trade Promotion Authority to the President, so we can conclude the TPP agreement along with TTIP. Uh, we're working on right now a miscellaneous tariff bill so we can deal with some of the uh, raw material that we need to be importing that isn't being made domestically without being hit with excise taxes or tariff barriers. We just had a hearing in committee uh, on that. 
And then a few other items too that are desperate in need of attention. Opiate legislation right now dealing with pain management and the heroin and meth epidemic that we have, drug addiction throughout the country. As a former prosecutor, I'd love to see us move forward on criminal justice reform. Uh, yet this year, there seems to be a, an aligning of stars around that. Um, cybersecurity, obviously, first and foremost uh, in our mind uh, when it comes to the federal government, but this impacts all businesses uh, throughout our country as well. And being able to move forward on some protective measures there uh, would be helpful. We're a little bogged down right now. Obviously, the Republican leadership in the House have had a hard time putting together a budget resolution. That's delayed a lot of things. They're still squabbling amongst themselves in regards to overall spending levels, something I thought we had agreed to last December when Speaker Boehner was uh, stepping down, but they're still stuck on that. And it looks like we're going to be moving into the appropriation season without a budget resolution to guide us, which can create uh, quite a bit of uh, chaos. And then finally, let me just wrap up my comments by saying that the New Dem Coalition, especially in Congress now, believes that we've got to be engaged internationally, that we're the ones right now, our country has to provide the leadership to help shape the rules of globalization, or it will be done to us, and that there are ways that we can help shape this, making sure that we remain the most innovative, competitive, and creative nation in the world, making sure that our businesses are as competitive as they need to be, both at home and abroad, but also making sure we're not leaving anyone behind. That means a key investment in the capital, the human capital of our country, through quality educational opportunities, job training skills, uh, vocational education uh, skills, uh, so that all of our citizens have an opportunity to reach their potential and be full participants in this global economy and not being left behind. We think that is a more realistic response to the income inequality that's growing throughout our nation, and that's empowering our citizens so they do have the education and the, and, and the skills that they need to uh, successfully compete in, in this global economy. So I would be hopeful that we can move forward in a bipartisan fashion and recognizing certain key investments that we have to be making in the people of this country, in the infrastructure, to lay the groundwork for long-term growth, uh, in broadband expansion, high-speed internet connection in every inch uh, of our ter territory, basic research funding, because you don't know where the next discovery or major breakthrough that could lead to whole new industries and businesses being created uh, overnight. These are exciting opportunities that the Congress now should be seizing rather than running away from. And we're going to continue to play our role uh, as, as a pro-growth, more moderate faction within Congress to encourage those bipartisan relationships to get things done. And just this past week, uh, for our policy lunch on Wednesday, we got together with uh, the, the Tuesday group. It's a group of more pragmatic House Republicans, and I wanted to get our groups together just to sit down and start talking to each other, listening to each other. And by doing that, it's amazing how much common ground you can ultimately find. And then building from there what type of legislation we can move forward on in a bipartisan fashion. I think that's what the American people expect us to do, act like grown-ups and overcome the dysfunction that's been coming out of Washington lately. And it's also the best thing we can do to help continue to support this economic expansion uh, uh, that's still occurring in our country and to make sure that we are fully engaged and we're helping to write the rules of globalization as we move forward in the 21st century. So with that, I, I wanted to take advantage of a little filibuster since we don't get to do that too much on the House side, but I'd be happy to entertain any questions or, or comments, Jim, at this point. 
Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Uh, regarding uh, your meeting with the uh, the Tuesday group, uh, Business Forward does briefings all around the country in about 100 different cities, um, and uh, I think we sh we need to put uh, uh, your organization and the Tuesday group on the road. <laughs> um, uh, as a, as a reminder to everyone on the call, um, you can uh, uh, you can ask questions in one of two ways. One is to email the question at info at businessfwd.org. Uh, the other is to just press one, and uh, you'll be flagged on our um, uh, service, and we'll be able to uh, pull you up and allow you to ask the question. Um, first uh, 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 email question is from Pat Murphy from Chicago, Illinois, and the question relates to tax reform and infrastructure uh, uh, in investment, and it's a long question, so I'll just try to shorten it. It's, um, there's a sense that if we do tax reform, there will be a, 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 a you'll, you'll, you'll get a near-term increase in revenue, which could be, um, which, and, and if that went to infrastructure, that would be a way to uh, encourage people to support it. Um, what's your view on that, and what's the likelihood of that, given uh, uh, other steps that have been taken on the highway bill and, and uh, uh, other investment needs? Well, Pat, first, thanks for emailing that question in. It's very important. We've had meetings about it. In fact, it just came up during our joint meeting with the Tuesday group. But one of our new DEM members, uh, John Delaney, has introduced legislation that would deal with international tax reform and repatriate a lot of that $2 trillion that's parked overseas right now bring it back into the United States, and we could be investing that, leveraging that capital in order to move forward on a major rebuild of our country through infrastructure uh, payments. And there's been growing bipartisan support uh, for looking at, at that. But what's held us back as far as putting together a, a long-term infrastructure investment that our nation needs is, quite frankly, a bunch of the no-new revenue pledges that so many of our colleagues are signing before they even cast their first vote in Congress. They pin themselves down by signing those pledges. They take so many options off the table. They, in essence, give their voting card away to various uh, special interests out there. And it makes having a discussion as far as finding a long-term sustainable revenue source, which we need right now, in order to invest in infrastructure, very, very difficult to accomplish. We did pass a five-year highway bill at the end of last year. You know, good. Uh, a lot of our states and local uh, uh, DOT officials were saying they needed some long-term predictability so they could start moving forward on a lot of the infrastructure projects that have fallen behind. But they were all one-off revenue measures. We took some money out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We dipped into some of the reserve that the Federal Reserve was, was uh, holding on to and used that in order to fill holes in the five-year uh, infrastructure bill. And we can't go back to those sources again, so we're right back into the same box so I'm, I'm hoping we can think creatively in regards to what we need revenue-wise. And I've been pressing the Republican leadership, you know, Speaker Ryan and now Chairman Brady on Ways and Means, let's at least have hearings to tee up the various options that are out there when it comes to uh, investing in our infrastructure uh, because it's crumbling and uh, it's becoming embarrassing. Uh, we're starting to look more and more like a third world nation when it comes to our infrastructure needs. And these are good paying jobs. They can certainly help. Uh, provide a boost to the economic growth that we have right now in the country. So I would hope that that would receive a higher level of priority and seriousness uh, around here so we can, we can get working on it right away. Thanks. Our next question is uh, Kathy Shanley from New York. Uh, Kathy, uh, you are live. Uh, thank you. Congressman, I enjoyed your remarks. Thank you so much. You and I share a connection. We both went to the London School of Economics. 
Oh, great. Wonderful. What year were you there? I you're, you sound that. young. <laughs> now I'm class of 83. Oh, no kidding. Well, I was there 85, 86, so you almost Yes, I, I figured it out by going on the, on this site. In fact, um, are you aware at the Federal Reserve Bank, um, the head of the Federal Reserve has an honorary degree now from the LSE, and the second command has a degree from the LSE? Well, you know the LSE is going to take over the world, so we just got to get the people in the right place. Yes, and there are a few other people who used to be at the Federal Reserve, you know, um, who are also LSEers, as well as a number of congressmen and um, and staffers. Anyhow, my question: I work in the water infrastructure arena, and what I don't see, and I've had conversations with my neighbor, who's a congressman, Jerry Nadler is what is more is going to be done uh, by congressmen across the board to get infrastructure moving forward again on public-private partnerships. There have been initiatives that were discussed over the last 10 years and, and, and cross-dialogues between um, Republicans and, De and Democrats on initiatives, but none of these initiatives have ever been put in place. And I am getting on a plane early tomorrow morning to go to a major conference in North Carolina in which this is going to be the, one of the number one discussions is what is the federal government doing to help work with the states to get infrastructure projects moving forward, particularly water and wastewater projects? Yeah, Kathy, I share that concern. Obviously, I come from an area of the country. I have more miles along the, uh, the Mississippi River than any other congressional district, so I see firsthand the real jeopardy uh, that we're posing with the lock and dam system uh, up and down the Mississippi. And we're one dam failure away from a major economic crisis in the heart of America. And yet it's just been a bunch of tape and bubble gum keeping these uh, water projects uh, uh, going. And that's unfortunate. You know, we do have the, the WERDA bill, the Water Resource Development Bill, that's up for reauthorization every, uh, periodically. And that's our major vehicle as far as water infrastructure investment in our country. And even there, the, the revenues have been falling short, and the backlog is getting longer, and the core is being stretched with the limited resources that we're, that we're giving them. Uh, and yet it's terribly important, uh, not only for the transportation system of our country, but just basic water needs. We see the crisis coming out of Flint right now and lead contamination. And most of us are doing surveys throughout our states to see whether we're in the same category or should be uh, of the same heightened concern that they are right now in Michigan. And it's going to require, again, some um, uh, tough decisions being made in regards to finding those revenue sources that can be sustained and then dedicated into the water projects uh, that we have out there. A lot of it are matches with private industry. I know we have a user fee for the navigation system up and down the river, and they're willing to increase uh, the fees, realizing that that money would be dedicated for water infrastructure upgrades and, and, and new projects too. So we need to find a sweet spot in all of this so we can move forward on it. And again, that would be another major infrastructure project that our country needs and good-paying jobs right now that would come from it. And thanks for the question. Uh, our next question is from Simpson uh, Munger. Um, it's uh, uh, Miami, uh, and the question relates to the Jobs 2.0 uh, uh, proposal that you mentioned in the uh, uh, in the in your uh, remarks. Uh, what could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, you know, we've been working with a variety of uh, uh, stakeholders that were involved with Jobs 1.0, and 
in order to move that forward, uh, there was a lot of outreach on the other side. There was a nice coalition that was formed in the House uh, surrounding it. We're getting feedback right now as far as what the unintended consequences or shortfalls of the original jobs bill is. And we're trying to put together a package that addresses some of those uh, deficiencies when it comes to capital formation, the, 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 uh, the early on-ramp uh, that's part of jobs, uh, the original jobs uh, legislation, and where else we can be creative when it comes to that early stage capital that uh, so many businesses need in order to stay in the game. So it's, it's a work in progress right now, and if anyone on the, on the line has ideas too on how we can have a, a, a new and improved and even more modern jobs bill um, that well, we passed just a few short years ago, by all means, get in touch with uh, uh, my office. Uh, J.D. Grome is the executive director of the New Dem Coalition who's been uh, pile, uh, compiling uh, the various ideas uh, that various people have had. And uh, we're hoping, again, this will be a vehicle for something getting done in Congress in the near future. Uh, on that point, Congressman, if, if uh, you, it's not just uh, questions that you can send to info at businessfwd.org. If you have any recommendations or uh, case studies, examples, anything that you'd like to make sure that we get to uh, uh, the Congressman and his colleagues on the New, new Dem, um, uh, just let us know. Just please send us an email. Uh, our next question is from Arnold. Uh, I'm sorry, Arnold, I mispronounced your name. Pia Santini from Richmond, Mass. Uh, in my opinion, the inclusion of investor state dispute settlement clauses and trade agreements, including the TPP, make these agreements unpalatable, um, uh, 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 gives corporate lawyers the right to override domestic, local, state, and federal laws. Uh, it is this clause which makes trade agreements so offensive to the grassroots. Why can't we engage internationally without them? That's a good question. I know there's been a lot of focus on the so-called ISDS uh, dispute resolution mechanism, the investor state dispute mechanism. And let me, let me clarify a few things here while I have a, a minute. First of all, ISDS has been a, party, uh, been a part of trade uh, for over 30 years. And during that time, we've had 15 ISDS challenges in the United States. We've won every one of them. In fact, most of the foreign companies doing business in the United States, if they have a complaint about how they're being treated, if they feel they're being treated in some discriminatory manner, they usually file that in federal court, and that's where it gets resolved because these companies have great faith and confidence in the rule of law and our system of justice in the United States. So thousands of them get filed in federal court. No one is complaining about that, and that's usually how they get resolved. I view ISDS as a protection for U.S. companies trying to do business abroad, where you've got a weaker form of, uh, of, of a judiciary system, a weaker form of law, uh, and our companies could be exposed to discriminatory treatment. All ISDS says is that if you're a company doing business in another country, you have to be treated the same way as their domestic companies. You can't be singled out. You can't be discriminated against. But even with that, un, in the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement, there's explicit language in it that specifically prohibits the preempting of any federal, state, or local law or any regulation that we have in this country. That is written in black and white, and you can go online, take a look at the TPP text. The entire world can do it. It's been published for almost four months right now, and you will see that language that specifically prohibits the overriding of federal, state, or local law or any regulation that we have in this country. All ISDS is meant to do is protect foreign companies doing business here 
so they're not discriminated against, and especially our companies trying to do business in foreign markets, so they're not being discriminated against. And uh, again, uh, throughout the years that it's been in existence, we've never lost a case. Only 15 have been filed. I have a lot of confidence that that will continue uh, in the future because as a nation, we don't discriminate against uh, foreign businesses uh, trying to do business here. And that's what ISDS is all about. And yet somehow it's been turned into this issue that it's going to preempt all of our uh, federal, state, and local laws. And if history is any guide, uh, it's just not so. But thanks for the question. Uh, our next question also relates uh, to TPP. It's uh, Kevin Richards from SAP America. Um, what's your take on what we can expect from a President Clinton if she were elected, uh, 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 given her opposition to TPP, uh, on TPP, given her opposition? Well, it's interesting. You know, I've been here for a little bit, and I've never met a president yet who doesn't believe in international engagement, the need for us to be at the table trying to write the rules of trade. The fact is that we're trading with virtually every country in the world, except for North Korea, Cuba, Iran. Um, but, but we're trading with every other nation. And for the vast majority of those countries, we have no trade agreement in place. And it's been a race to the bottom. And we haven't done well competing in that environment. And in fact, I think those who are very leery and skeptical of trade agreements have it backwards. Uh, they're I think they're conflating trade with trade agreements. And when you were trading with other nations, China, Brazil, India, the vast bulk of countries with no agreements, we have nothing to enforce. And we certainly don't have any standards that we're trying to elevate. And if countries misbehave, we have no tools to go back with them on, like uh, economic sanctions or some trade sanctions uh, that are available. I think you know, the trade agreements give us a chance to establish those rules and therefore assert U.S. leadership and reflecting the, our values in these trade agreements. For instance, under TPP, we've got core international labor standards, environmental standards, human rights standards negotiated in the body of the agreement, fully enforceable like any other provision. I would submit that there's no way a country like Vietnam, which is communist, state-run economy, would ever agree to the recognition of independent trade unions operating in their country outside of this trade agreement. And the fact that they now have agreed to respect the creation of independent unions, uh, worker rights uh, provisions, the establishment of a minimum wage, uh, worker protection uh, issues in it, all because this is something that we demanded of them to be a part of this TPP agreement. And if they fall short in the future of doing it, now we have economic tools that we can go back and hit them on if they're not complying with the agreement. I don't know how voting no on TPP and taking us back to the status quo where we're trading with a country like Vietnam without any of these protections makes sense. Again, we find ourselves in a race to the bottom in that type of situation. And we haven't done that well uh, competing in that global environment. And so I think it's important for people to take a look at what's in the agreement itself and, and, and also important to recognize that if we're not doing it and if we're not moving forward on this agreement, the other countries in the region are going to move forward without us. And chances are at some point in the future, China will be the country establishing the rules of trade, not us. And I would submit that that's going to leave us in a very anti-competitive position and result in a race to the bottom as well. And this is real. This isn't theoretical. Uh, China just established their own uh, international infrastructure bank. Most of our closest friends and allies have joined it because, again, the U.S. refused to move forward on certain reforms that they were asking in the past. So they were willing to do it uh, in something like infrastructure investment. Uh, they already have a trade agreement that they're trying to peddle throughout the region. 
claiming that the U.S. is asking too much of these countries. And we risk forfeiting that leadership position uh, in the future uh, if this proves to be too difficult. Uh, thank you, Congressman. Last question relates to fiscal cliffs. Um, uh, we've raised the debt ceiling, uh, but as you explained, we're going through a budget process without a budget resolution. Um, how, how likely uh, 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 is uh, the risk of uh, uh, the possibility of another fiscal cliff, and if so, when would it happen? Well, I hope that we're not going to be staring another high-stakes uh, uh, fiscal cliff uh, in the face at the end of the year. Uh, we do have to try to get a budget uh, passed at some point this year. Obviously, the new fiscal year starts October 1. Uh, typically, there are short-term continuing resolutions that buy some time for Congress to, to get its act in order. But you know, this, this uncertainty and the unpredictability coming out of Washington holds so many people back. And it's not conducive to the type of long-term planning that we want businesses to be making. And the certainty that the government's not going to be shutting down or even worse, that we would default on our financial obligations for the first time in our nation's history by not increasing debt ceiling and our, our funding uh, obligations that were already incurred. What we need, uh, and what I've been encouraging Speaker Ryan to try to convene, is a serious conversation about long-term uh, fiscal responsibility uh, with our uh, expenditures. And that's something, too, that's long overdue. And you can't get into that because most of the cost drivers in the federal budget today are healthcare related. So we have to continue working on healthcare reform, continue encouraging our providers to develop a more integrated, coordinated patient-centered healthcare delivery model, which we know works, gets better results at a much better price, and continue pushing for payment reform in the healthcare system. So it's ultimately value, quality, outcome-based, and no longer fee-for-service, volume-based payments, which I think has been bankrupting us. So any serious conversation about long-term fiscal responsibility, given the aging population that we have, 10,000 boomers retiring every day in this country, has to maintain a serious focus on health care reform and what we can do to contain the rising costs with health care, which again is leaving many of our businesses less competitive in the global environment. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, uh, we don't have any more email questions. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to send uh, some uh, 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 after the call, please uh, let us just do that. We'll, we'll make sure we forward them to the congressman and his staff. Um, congressman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with um, the prosperity agenda. Uh, we wish Great. You well Thanks, with Jim. You. I enjoyed it. Yep. Thank you.